Greetings, and welcome to the Upper Pen Podcast. My name is Dakota Van Linden, and today I'm t- speaking with Eric Ugland, author of the Good Guys Lit RPG series. Eric is a self-published author with nine books in his Good Guys series and five in his Bad Guys series. What makes Eric stand out as a writer in an ever-increasing genre is Montana. No, not the state. Montana is the main character of the Good Guys. He's an ex-biker dude from Lower Michigan who has an obsession with Fago root beer and two otter-like sidekicks. Montana is overpowered, but as much as this helps him and Valdrani, it comes with its own hilarity and challenges for the blood-covered duke. Montana is a modern-thinking guy. He wants all sentient peoples to live in peace, something that's not always possible in a world that is much like Earth and that there are races deemed undesirable by people in power. Hello, Eric. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, So tell me about how you got started writing the good guys, or the bad guys even. Well, uh, I've been writing books for a long time, and I noticed lit RPG as a sort of an emerging genre a few years ago. And I started reading some books, and I liked what I was seeing, and I realized that there was a lot of opportunity there. And I decided to write one, and I read a whole bunch, uh, did some research, built my own world, and then, I don't know, I just decided that the first thing to do would be kind of an old hack and slash throwback to original Dungeons and Dragons. Did you find it difficult to get started self-publishing? Originally when I did, it was a little bit confusing, but by the time I, I published The Good Guys, I had three, six, nine, nine or 10 other books already published. (laughs) So I was reasonably confident in, in my workflow. Um, so how did you get started self-publishing back before those books, uh, those original nine or 10 books? So in, oh man, what, <laughs> 2013, I guess, I started listening to the self-publishing podcast, which I think this has gone by now. They shifted to a different podcast. Um, and they wrote a book called Write, Publish, Repeat. And I read that. And I had this idea for a TV show because I I started by writing plays and screenplays and sort of branched into also planning on writing television. So I had this idea for a TV show and I just wasn't having any luck getting any bites or anything. So I was like, well, you know, if I just self-publish, then it's just me. If I don't get any bites, it's, it's my fault, not someone else. And so I wrote it as a sort of episodic serial. So six novellas that tied together to make one big story and then that's that's how I started. Have you been approached by any uh, publishing houses or anything that want to kind of bring you into the fold now that you've you've established yourself? (laughs) No not really I have um, I I'm with Tantor for my audiobooks Uh, well most of my audiobooks and then I'm with LMBPN for my German translations and then LMBPN also published my mystery series, and Podium picked up that mystery series to be an audiobook. Okay. So, not really, you know, big in the indie world, but not one of the big five traditional houses. That's okay. I'm, you're, the good guys is so great. <laughs> Thank you. It really entertains me, like deeply, deeply entertains me. It's like the classic D&D campaign that I want to play that I can't play during all this. (laughs) You have that one guy who doesn't really know how to play, but somehow rolled 
really phenomenal stats. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but we'll get we'll get to more questions about that in a little bit. Sure. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you you kind of like stumbled on lit RPG as an emerging genre. Mm -hmm. um, what made you want to do lit RPG versus typical fantasy for this world? I liked being able to ask some of the questions about sort of how a fantasy world might operate. And I felt that lit RPG offered more of a way to let others peek behind the curtain as well. And I wanted to, I mean, part of it was also the commercial aspect. You know, <laughs> lit RPG was, was booming. Uh, you know, that was, I came in right at kind of the tail end of the gold rush days. Or, you know, right after you could literally publish anything with lit RPG and it would sell hundreds of copies. Um, I got very fortunate there as well as, you know, I just put this book out and people seem to, to grab it and, and run away with it. Um, so that was one of the reasons, you know, traditional fantasy is also still heavily dominated by the traditional publishers, yeah. much more so than, than any, I think, I would say it's probably that in mystery, um, outside of cozy mysteries are probably most dominated still by traditional publishers. Um, and it just, I just didn't want to, I wanted to have more, more playful opportunities. And I felt that there was a, a better sense of humor in lit RPG than traditional fantasy. That's very fair. Mr. Paul is very hilarious. <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, so one thing that I, I like about the good guys is it's, it's really not a game. Uh, in the last nine books, there's allusions to something more than just this game world. Um, mm -hmm. So I like that it goes kind of beyond even the lit RPG genre. Um, yeah, I would say it's probably more isekai or portal fantasy. Um, and it's definitely, the game elements are there, but I, I got kind of tired of, of seeing the, the worlds where only the hero will, had the game elements. And so what would it mean if everyone had access to a character sheet and everyone was sort of playing that game? Really the only thing I pulled away is that the sort of hero characters get respawns and kind of the, the natives don't really. That also brings up the idea of audience. Do you think the audience for lit RPG is uh, very specialized? Like, do you have to write to them or do you kind of not think about them at all and you just kind of write what you're gonna write? Um, I would say there's an even mix. Mm -hmm. I do consider the audience um, just because that's kind of the job, you know? <laughs> um, but I wouldn't necessarily say, well, I mean, there, I would say looking at, at my readers and the, the people that I've come across, there certainly seems to be um, a group of, of people who are coming to this genre who have not necessarily been readers before. And I think that's unique among the genres is that lit RPG is, is pulling people back into books and stories and audiobooks. Uh, so we're not necessarily pulling readers from other genres so much as we're sort of converting people who would normally be just playing a video game into maybe listening to a book as well as playing a video game. Um, I know a lot of, I have a lot of truckers who are my readers <laughs> and, you know, a, a bunch of them have said, you know, they, they tried podcasts and whatnot in the past, but this is the first time they found something that, that holds their attention and keeps them focused on the road at the same time. 
so when I am writing, I do tend to think that that I, I look at the tropes that are more common within Lit RPG and then look at sort of what's available to pull from in terms of, of what's popular in fantasy and then how to bridge that gap or what's popular in video games or tabletop role-playing games and how to incorporate that. But then I also try to make sure that that's, that it lives within a realistic world. You know, how does, how does something like having fireball spells available on tap change the way that the, the world is, is functions and how warfare functions and what can magic do in the terms of sort of sanitation and having so many different types of creatures, you know, can, can centaurs climb normal stairs? I haven't figured that one out yet. But. Um, that's funny. I, now I'm just imagining a horse going upstairs. And right? They, I know they can go up ramps, but I don't mm -hmm. know about stairs. Like what kind of furniture would they need? Yeah. You know? I'm insanely jealous of Montana's shower that's just like got hot water on demand and is yeah. basically a, a waterfall, although it seems painful at first. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it has, yeah. They were, uh, they were not that uh, much into engineering for comfort when they built that. Yes. So much as just Most. diverting a waterfall. Or just cleaning Montana. <laughs> Which would require a waterfall. Yes. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask about audience is, I noticed that a lot of other lit RPG kind of focuses on either a, a very generalized audience, like they write um, something of like Dakota Kraut. I know that he doesn't really swear in his work and he doesn't have any um, like situation, like suggestive situations. Mm -hmm. um, but here you don't seem to like Montana gets into weird shit all the time <laughs> and he yeah. swears so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a, he's an amalgamation of at least both, you know, his language of, I used to work as a stagehand. And I met a lot of sort of people at that fringe, stagehands and teamsters and bikers kind of all run in the same circles. And yeah, swearing is just a part of life. Um, but my other series, The Bad Guys, is basically no swearing. Okay. Um, and, I, you know, I did that on purpose to give people sort of different entry points. If, if swearing was something that made them uncomfortable, there's a different series that they could read that wouldn't have that sort of language. Um, but I also think it's it's kind of impossible to write lit RPG without the violence and the brutality, because that's just part and parcel of the way that the that games have evolved. So I I listen to audiobooks when I work at my uh, so I work at a grocery store, and mm -hmm. when I'm stocking shelves or like cleaning or whatever, I have an audiobook on, and sometimes I forget that lit RPG can be kind of violent and then Montana will be ripping the head off of something and there will be entrails and I'm like oh uh, that's really loud <laughs> <laughs> yeah but. yeah I mean as far as that I mean that's just I feel like yeah that's just part of partly part of him and kind of the consequence of, of strength and and in reading sort of the historical battles they were very gruesome. Like they, those, those weapons did not do clean kills. God, um, no. <laughs> uh, isn't it like broadswords broke more bones than they actually cut? <laughs> like, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not pleasant. <laughs> um, so how did you get in contact with Neil Helligers as your audio book narrator? That is all thanks to Tantor. 
Oh, I, yes, you have the contract. Yep. I, I realized early on that the best thing I could do is write more books. Um, that's the way I could best grow my business is just to produce content. And so even though I could probably be earning more income directly from the audiobooks, if I was managing every aspect myself, I just, I don't have the, the time to do that and still you know, produce a book every other month. And so, yeah, I decided, you know, take a chance on Tantor and they send me some different narrators. And I said, yeah, this guy sounds good. And just let Neil run with it. And he's phenomenal. He's brought it to, to life in a way that I could never have imagined. Did you have, did you have much input on how he like, pronounced words or um, how he sounded at all? Um, yes and no. He asked me for specific things. And if he, and usually he'll say, you know, how do you, how do you pronounce this word? And is it like this? And 90% of the time I just go with that. So I just accept that, you know, whatever is, there are certain words that he says differently than I would, but at this point, I trust him to make that decision because, you know, obviously the readers really like the way he's going with it. So I just let him most of the time run with whatever it is. There's a couple of, and there's a couple of um, hard to pronounce words because I, I pull a lot from old Norse and um, like old high Germanic, some, some of those old Northern European languages. And so sometimes I do have to do a little research in terms of telling him how that would, have been pronounced in the real world, but I mean, it's all fantasy. So That's ultimately it's, it's however he wants to make it sound that works for me. How, what is a word that he pronounces different than you would? Uh, Voldrani. In my head, it's Voldrani. Oh. Because I got it from Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay. I can see that. But for copyright reasons, it's a whole lot better that he says it differently. Yes. Now, now I'm not going to be sure how to say it. I'm probably still going to say Voldrani, but now I'm going to know. Just go with Voldrani. That's, <laughs> that's the legally appropriate way to say it. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I think he, sounds, he says a little bit funny is Ragnar. Uh, like yeah. I always expect Ragnar, uh, but it's Ragnar. Ragnar. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of got that, uh, the, the Brooklyn accent on Ragnar. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and I definitely, in, you know, in my head, I have my Norwegian ancestry is snaking. No, no, it's Ragnar, Ragnar. <laughs> uh, that's one of the things that I like about him as a narrator for these books, though, is like it, it takes it beyond just Earth. And he kind of well, like. Changes. It is supposed to be Montana's voice. And he is a, you know, a guy from not quite Detroit. And he probably would mispronounce a lot of things. You know? Ragnar is more of a, a Midwest than it would be Minnesota or South Dakota, where they actually have more of a, a Norwegian population. That is very fair. <laughs> um, so something that I just want to know is, uh, mm -hmm. do you have a D&D 5th &D edition sheet for Montana? Or like, how do no. you keep track of his stats? Well, partly, um, if you've read enough of the books, you know that uh, poorly would be how I have done <laughs> keeping track of his stats. Um, now I have, I actually have uh, a couple and they listen to the books and read them uh, with a better eye than I ever could. And they keep track of all of it for me. And we have a world anvil 
that we're building and everything's on there so far. So now I can just pop over there and then we can have conversations, you know, have, have I ever said this? You know, what color of eyes did this person have? And they have it all tracked. Um, but I think one of the things that, that um, maybe even other authors don't realize is, is you, you can't, at least as far as in my books, you can't actually think of it like a real game because the main characters would break it. Because it's not, it's not a fair game for everybody else. Now, it's purposefully bent towards the main characters in order to make a story interesting and to, to continue along in a series. That makes a lot of sense to me, especially because the way the world is built, it's more than just the game. It's more than, it, it, it seems like it's, Montana is cheating with his godly help. <laughs> uh, right. So it makes sense that the, that the rules aren't always so firm, I guess, that they can be well, malleable. I will say that the rules are firm. Okay. You know, I do have, I, well, they're firm as, as when I write them, then they stay ironclad. I never change the rules after I've written them. Um, there may be situations that I haven't come up with yet where the rules aren't there, but they, the rules are already, are mostly in place. Now, are they bent? Are they pushed? Sure. Um, you know, but that's also part of the way that the game is being played. Okay. I guess that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, is Mr. Paul a player in the game or is he something else? He is something else. I will say that all the gods are something else because they are not necessarily allowed to directly intervene. So they couldn't necessarily just go down and smite everybody they wanted to. Mr. Paul always talks about how he can't say something or he can't help Montana um, too much or like people are watching him. Um, right. So that was just a curiosity. If so that, yeah, so there's a separate set of rules that he is bound by. Okay. So he's a player in a different kind of game, it feels like. Yeah, I would say that's, a, that's an accurate way of only mildly spoiling things. Very mild spoilers <laughs> there. Uh, it comes on pretty quick that he's, he's, got some, he's got some stuff going on, though. Right. That's why, you know, yeah. second <laughs> chapter spoilers. Okay. <laughs> I try not to spoil anything. Usually I don't talk very far about into the book. Um, but I guess I've already mentioned the waterfall shower. And... Well, it gets, I mean, it gets tough when you're talking to people who have longer series, you know. And so, like, especially if I, like, really like the series and I'm like, I just want to talk to you about the thing that happens in the ninth book. And you're like, no, <laughs> don't <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> well, I, I, I have a Discord and there's one, there's only one channel where you can go and you can, you know, it's the spoiler channel. It's like, the only time that we make people use spoiler tags there is the week after a book is released. But otherwise, you know, you're, you're anything else is free in that, in that channel. With how quickly you produce content, is it a problem for spoilers aside from that one week or? Not, even then, I don't think so. No, I think it seems like my readers are, I mean, my readers are fantastic and I really haven't had any negative incidents with anyone there and they they just seem to enjoy what's coming um, that they don't want to spoil that for anybody else at least so far and I think one of the other things like lit RPG readers are voracious 
And I don't think they have the time to spoil something else for someone because they're already moving on to the next book. Well, I think that's partially you guys as writers is you are so quick. Like uh, you, uh, I, I remember watching for the new, like uh, the new bad guys book, <laughs> mm-hmm. if I can speak. And you pushed it back like a month or two. And you're like, I've never had to do this. I'm sorry. And yeah. that, that seemed like it distraught you more than it would have um, like customers even. Or re- well, I think, I mean, I think if it became a regular thing, it probably would annoy them a lot. Um, but it does, you know, it's a mark of professionalism for me to, you know, hit the deadlines when I say, you know, this is when the book is going to be out. And then because I also, you know, I like giving pre-orders so that people know when the next book is going to come so that the sort of cliffhangers aren't as bad. You know, they can point to, okay, well, at least I know that's when it's going to be. And, you know, by, I had to push that back by three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that means that I have three less weeks now to write the next good guys because that pre-order date was already set by that time. So it was, you know, it is now something that future Eric had to deal with, which is now this Eric is going to have to deal with. That, you know, I have to write the next book in six weeks. That's all I have for the next book. That is a very quick turnaround. Yeah. Oh gosh, how long do the um, the couple that re- like proofread it, and how long do they have it for? Uh, best case scenario, they usually get it for about a week. Okay. But you know, sometimes they read it when everybody else reads it, <laughs> and I ask questions as I go. That makes sense. And usually, I can keep track of everything that's happening in the current book. It's it's usually you know what was this in book three that I said or. You know, what what color of hair did I say this character had in book five? I think it was book five. And then they'll come back and say, well, you said it was blonde in book four when you introduced them and then brown in book six when you introduced them. So you have to pick. Well, maybe the summer's changed and like the there's less sun bleaching their hair. <laughs> right. Or, you know, magic. Magic. <laughs> Little hand wavy them. <laughs> exactly. Um. So Montana's a really wonderful character. I really enjoy him and the fact that he's from Michigan, which I'm from the Upper Peninsula. That's why right. the, the Upper Pen. Um, but did you have, did you try and play around with the kind of character you would put through so much crap? <laughs> or was he just it? I mean, he, I mean, each, I mean, I think I had his, him picked from the start. You know, I knew that that, that was the, the path I wanted to take him on is, you know, I, I knew some guys who had sort of made terrible decisions up to a certain point And then, you know, they got their second lease on life. Uh, one of my uh, good friends who has since passed away, he was really deep into a life of crime and he just got lucky with uh, the way the police bungled the investigation and he got to walk away with no jail time, no slap on the wrist, nothing. And he looked at that as, you know, this is, you know, I could look at it as, as I got lucky and I can go back to doing what I was doing. But he just walked away from that entire life and started completely anew. And so I was, you know, wondering, you know, I, I found that just to such an interesting story. And that's kind of what I wanted to tell, but then mixed with, swords and dragons and buckets of blood (laughs) buckets and buckets and buckets of blood (laughs) 
I would not want to be one of Montana's uh, people because of how he smells. Yeah. Or can you imagine the laundry there? No. Although magic. Yeah. I'm hoping that is magic is a big part of that. <laughs> or they just burn his clothes. <laughs> I, well, so at some points they do just destroy his clothes, but his magic pants don't really get destroyed. Like they can get ruined, but then Iona gave him another set. If I'm yeah, but then he left them in the other. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's... Without saying too much. <laughs> oh, I he forgot. left them in the other place. The other place. <laughs> yeah. So there is no way to get those back. <laughs> um. So one of the things that I didn't, I wasn't sure about when the book started was you make Montana overpowered so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, how do you keep it interesting for readers? Obviously you do. I mean, you pulled me through nine books. Um, I mean, the easiest part is, is to make someone who cares more about other people than themselves. So he can be as overpowered as he want, but if he cares more about someone else than all that part, that person just has to be in danger. And, you know, then that's, there's the stakes in the scene. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I give him some weak people around him that he cares about. And then that means it doesn't matter how strong or powerful he becomes. If he makes it through something, but his friend doesn't, then he still loses. Okay. That makes sense to me. Cause the most, most riveting scenes are usually when he's, uh, trying to do something and there's somebody else involved. Um, yeah. That makes sense. That was, that was a concern though. When I first went in, I was like, oh, it's just going to be him beating people up. And then, and then it was funnier than I imagined it was going to be. It was hilarious. So the last thing that I really love about Montana is like you said, he's, he's really a person of people. Um, mm -hmm. So his equality streak, uh, which annoys other characters in the books, uh, it seems really fitting for him to just want to make a place for other people to be safe and happy and be able to live because that's what it seems like Valdrani was for him. Mm -hmm. um, was that always part of the story or did you? Uh, yes and no. Um, certainly the more that I've had to examine, I guess, a realistic fantasy world, which is such a bizarre thing to be saying, but in trying to make, trying to look at how, the decisions would reverberate throughout. Um, you know, what, what does it mean to have a race like goblins who are just universally despised or kobolds or, you know, is it possible to have a race that's actually just evil? Um, and I, and I wanted to, and I still, I'm still trying to figure all that out. You know, it's, a, it's, it's a bigger question. I think I've managed to sort of grapple with and, I keep wondering if Montana is going to make a mistake in trusting somebody or some group there, that there might be a, a group of, of people who are just fundamentally not good. But I just, I haven't been able to sort of say, yes, that's, that's this, this group or that it is possible. But yeah, I wanted to, to sort of explore that, you know, um, Montana as originally, he just wanted to not be a hero. He wanted to just have a little, shack and and that was it and he kept sort of finding situations where he had to he had to be the one to step up because sort of no one else was and it just kept happening it kept happening and it, i think he it was the realization of how lucky he had been in terms of what powers he'd been given 
and therefore Voltroni was never going to be that dangerous for him. But he could see how dangerous it was for everybody else. And I think he's also starting to realize that maybe he is not as powerful as he thinks he is, and that there are many, many things that are more powerful than even him. That makes a lot of sense. It's um, it, it's very confusing with the political stuff because he doesn't care about it at all. So right. most of it's happening in the background. And then, um, but it has large implications for him and his little group. Well, so. that was another of the reasons I, I, I became so interested in writing the bad guys is because here I was writing a character who didn't care about the politics, but then the politics were going to be so influential on in everything that was happening. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted a closer eye on it. So that's, that's part of why I incorporate that into the bad guys. Okay. Uh, do you enjoy writing the political intrigue? Yeah, to a certain extent. I like the, the urban side of things. Um, I'm certainly fascinated by some of the historical governments that the, the earth has had. And, and you know, I, I sort of made Claton a mix of the Holy Roman Empire and the original Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And just sort of being able to play with that. And, you know, it just means that there's, there's always something that can, can go wrong or happen somewhere. There's so many different lines of power and so many people who are vying for control. Okay. Um, are you writing any other books right now besides the good guys and the bad guys? Well, it def depends what you mean by writing. Um, <laughs> I have a whole nother series that I've been sort of building in the background and I just don't know how to schedule it. Okay. So, the problem is if I, if I try to add another series in and I'm still only writing six books a year, then do I write two books a year in each series? Does that mean then that people are waiting, what, six, eight months for the next book, to the series that they like to come out? I just don't know how to, uh, to make that work quite yet. I, I don't know, I'd be interested in another series personally so <laughs> i mean everyone seems to want another series but then then they quickly turn around and be like but that you're going to keep writing good guys right like you're not going to stop bad guys so it's tough trying to figure out how to shoehorn it in but yeah there i do have you know the third series the ugly guys <laughs> that has to try to fit in somewhere that's all about it's about a you know about a kobold that's magical now i really want it to come out I really love the kobolds. I think they're such weird little characters. <laughs> I love them too. I've always loved kobolds. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know how they became what they are in my books, but yeah, they, they are, they show up everywhere. Uh, kobolds and mimics. I have kobolds and mimics everywhere. I really, I really wanted, uh, this is a little spoiler. So maybe yeah, I'll put it in the podcast. The, I know, I know the, the pet to have stayed with I know, him. he was just so cute, even yeah. though he wasn't. <laughs> you um, know, there's, there's a pet, one of those in the other series. True, true, true. Um, that and um, Fritz, Fritz is a really good, good yeah, replacement. Fritz is, yeah. he's, a, he's a fan favorite. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Keep, <laughs> people keep talking about when I'm gonna come out with uh, Fritz stuffies or plushies. Do you do, uh, do you have like 
merchandise? No, but that doesn't stop people from talking about it. <laughs> the other one is uh, Prinkies. Oh. Prinkies. Prinkies that would come with uh, shiny pebbles. Oh my God. That was, that was a beautiful moment when you just decided to give uh, shiny pebbles to Nikolai forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that to my boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he does not appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, it started because my son does that. He picks up rocks that he thinks are cool, you know, which could just be gravel. Yeah. And then you now there's just rocks everywhere around my house. I leave them in my boyfriend's car usually because we're usually at the beach. Um, and I've been doing yeah. this for the entire time we've been dating. Uh, so he's like, now, I, now other people do it too? I don't know what to do. <laughs> Slowly, shocks come down on the car as they fill with rocks. <laughs> It's it's the rattling that gets him because sometimes they'll be in like a yeah. Oh yeah, the cup holder. You <laughs> yeah. Get a couple in the cup holder. Yep. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> I take it your son is a big fan of rocks. Oh yeah, he loves them. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense. My father w- was a geophysicist, so my father loves rocks. Oh. And my father's they have the path up to one of their houses, one of the doors on their house is a mixed gravel path and because he's a geologist he likes to buy all these tumbled and polished rocks and then he just sort of scatters them into that path and so for most people they go oh that's a neat rock and my son goes oh i'm gonna pick that one up and that one up and And now you have your very own prinky who doesn't explode into sparkles (laughs) that's right until he finds a jar of glitter oh my god that would be a nightmare just don't ever buy glitter Yeah, it's too late. <laughs> Fair. Glitter rocks. The other thing that I wondered about with how quickly you write them is, do you have like a, a arc that you're following? Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's all like pre-planned so you can kind of just get in and write? Uh, yes and no. Um, I have a general idea. I guess it would be more fair to say is I have a storyline that I'm kind of following and I have, it's a lot of it is sort of um, taking place in the background. So as, as I sort of explore what's happening with Clyde or Montana, I also know what's happening elsewhere in the world and how that's going to impact them. So I kind of know what's happening there. And then that guides what's going to be happening with the bad guys or the good guys. And I kind of know where I want it to go. And so I just kind of angle it towards that and see how many books it takes to get there. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Eric, for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. And thank you for watching. If you haven't yet, I highly suggest reading The Good Guys and maybe drink some Fago root beer while you do. Have a great day.